Welcome to Legacy Sport Live, stories of the people who are shaping the conversation at the intersection of sport, business and purpose. I'm Neil Duffy, co-author of our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Today, Fabien Paget talks to Hubert Jolie, executive chairman and former chief executive officer at Best Buy. Jolie was the inspirational leader behind the shift from being a retail-led to a customer relationship-driven business with purpose at its core. Jolie shares with us Best Buy's journey towards purpose and how he ensured that all employees were on board. Dear Hubert, uh, so it's a pleasure to have you uh, with us today. Thank you again. Uh, I mean, first, uh, how are you doing? We know we, we have a, I mean, challenging times. How are you doing now? Doing great, trying to exercise every day, okay. but not, not being able to play tennis for a while now. So I'm okay. missing that. That's good. I mean, I hope, we, I, I hope the lockdown will, will, be, will, be, uh, will end very soon. Yes. Uh, so we, I know that, I mean, we are both French and we, we share this passion for purpose. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, I've been always very inspired by, uh, by your journey and the work you've been doing. Can you tell us uh, how your passion to purpose started? How did it start? It, it started um, in one key milestone was in the 1990s. Okay. Um, when uh, um, I was working, I was advising a religious congregation in France on their um, uh, the organization of their worldly affairs, and you know we had become uh, friends. I had become friends with a, a number of their leaders, and and two of their leaders asked me to co-write with them uh, articles about. Um, the philosophy and theology of work. Why do we work? And so I, I, I took a biblical index and looked at all of the places in the Bible that talk about work. And uh, of course, you know, we have, uh, some people have the image of work as being a punishment or a curse, right? We're working and it's painful work because we sinned in paradise. And that's our punishment. And, and other people have the view that, you know, you work so that you can do something else. Life, you know, people talk about work-life balance as if life was outside of work. And the less you work, the happier you should be. Uh, which is why in France we've had, or around the world, we've had a reduction in the number of hours worked. And there is the focus on the leisure society. And people are really happy when they're not working. Mm -hmm. There's another view, which is to say, well, actually, no, uh, you know, and it's a rabbi who told me this, uh, man used to work in paradise before the original sin. Because, you know, if you look, uh, if, if you read, you'll see that, you know, God gave us the earth to, you know, embellish the earth. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the Bible on what's written in the Bible about work is mostly positive. Uh, and it's, you can see uh, human beings are the only beings that actually work uh, and work in a you know, purposeful fashion. Um, 
and because work is an essential element of our humanity and uh, it can be oriented yes it can be painful for sure yes it can be you know demoralizing but it can also be a key element of our fulfillment as individuals provided it's oriented towards uh, a meaningful goal uh, like serving the common good or you know doing good things to others yeah. and so uh, how we look at work is a choice you know, we can look at it as a punishment or as a source of fulfillment. There's a great poem uh, by Khalid Gibran uh, called, Work is Love Made Visible. Uh, that's beautiful. In fact, there's a book whose title is that as well. I have a chapter in that book. Uh, work is Love Made Visible. And um, so that was a key milestone. So we published a couple of articles then when I was still a consultant with McKinsey, I, uh, I learned a great deal from one of my clients, Jean-Marie de Carpentry, uh, when I was working at McKinsey in France. And I remember a dinner with him in Paris, again in the early 90s, where he was lecturing me and, and a few of my colleagues and saying the, the, the purpose of business is not to make money. People get confused. It's an imperative. You have to make money, but it's not the purpose. In fact, in, in, in business, you have three imperatives, you would say. You have the people imperative, meaning you need to have you know, good people that are well-equipped, uh, trained, motivated. Um, you have a business imperative. You need to have clients, customers that are happy and are happy to give you some money for the service you perform. And then uh, you have a financial impact if you need to make money for your shareholders or people who give you uh, money who, by the way, happen to be essentially retirees, right? So when you provide a return to shareholders, you're essentially funding the pension plan plans of, you know, all the people. And he said, you know, the, the excellence on the first imperative, the people imperative, leads to excellence on the business imperative, which leads to excellence on the financial imperative and you can actually improve the three the performance of the three dimensions at the same time um, you have to refuse trade-offs it's 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 uh, you know 98 percent of the questions that are asked as either or are better answered as and and but you shouldn't be confused between imperative and the purpose and if anything the purpose is the development of the individuals because the only thing that exists on the planet that's meaningful is people and human connections and uh, so that was uh, an, an important learning. And, and of course, he had a number of practices that went around this, including when you do a business meeting, you know, you report to your board or you, you look at the, the, the monthly results. Don't start with financial results. Start with people and organization, then business, and finish with finance. You will always have enough time for it. Whereas if you start with finance, you'll never deal with the other matter. Yeah. And so I learned a great deal from him. And so when I became, when I left McKinsey and I became a, a senior executive, I, I was the president of EDS France and then I, I became CEO of a variety of companies. I've always been inspired by this uh, as a way to, uh, to lead. And so when I became the CEO of Best Buy, even though this was a tough situation where, you know, we were supposed to die and a lot of people were the advice in a turnaround is often uh, cut, 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 cut cost, close stores. And we did the opposite. We didn't consider, you know, the, the, 
people as, by, as the problem, but as the solution. So first thing I did is I listened to the frontliners. I spent my first week on the job, you know, in the stores, listening to the frontliners. I spent a lot of time building the team at the top. Uh, and to improve the performance of the company, I actually followed John Mary's advice, which is first thing you do is you try to increase revenue. Two, if you're gonna cut costs, you start with non-salary expenses, everything that is not related to people. Three is the creative management of compensation and benefits. Yeah. And four, if one plus two plus three is not sufficient, then you're gonna deal with headcount, but you're gonna start at the top rather than you know, at the bottom and, 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 and so forth. And so the, the turnaround of Best Buy was a very human undertaking. And when the turnaround was over and we started to work on the growth strategy, then, you know, the anchor of the growth strategy was the purpose of Best Buy, which is not to sell, you know, TVs and computers, uh, but as we said, it's to enrich lives through technology by addressing key human needs, which is a great way to expand, you know, the addressable markets and really meet the human needs of customers. And so it's, it's, it's a new, you know, it's a, it's a reinvention of business with purpose as the North Star and people at the center and as the engine of the, of the transformation. So that's the, in five minutes, that's the journey of the last uh, 30 years. And, and that's very, I mean, that's very uh, inspiring and, and interesting. Did, did, you, did you find difficulties to establish that purpose? Uh, as, I mean, when you arrived? Well, it, well, we did it after three or four years. Uh, yeah. it's, it's really hard work. So we had to, yeah. you know, we, we studied the, the market, we studied customers, we, we tried to understand which was driving them. Uh, we segmented the market, we, we came up with a, a unique positioning. Uh, but then we also uh, said it's not sufficient to have a target segment and a value proposition. We need to have the why and what is our purpose and then it was not so we worked on that but then it was not sufficient for the executive team on a slide to the board to have the purpose written the work was about making it part of the fabric of the company yeah. and working to ensure that everyone working at the company could connect their individual purpose what drives them with the purpose of the company so it's been a journey you know and we're still on that journey, but it was several years of profound transformation of the of the company, uh, both at the at the vision level, at the strategic level, but very importantly at the, at the very human level. Yes, and how, including how we lead, so at the leadership level. And, and did you f did you feel any any difference between the European culture and the American culture? Did you feel people that were ready for this? Uh, I mean, because I, my feeling is that the U.S. is more advanced when it comes to purpose compared to Europe. I think that my view is that these are universal values. I think, yeah. When you start with, you know, what drives people, there's, you know, Europe yeah. has got a profound, has profound roots in philosophy, metaphysics, ethics, going all the way back to Aristotle uh, and to, of course, Christianity. Yes. Uh, and so the, the, the ground uh, in Europe is very fertile for this. It's also true in India. When you, when you read the Gita, which is the, the key writing in Hinduism, um, 
the values, there's a great book called the, I think it's called The Humanity of Work, or what is it called now? It's The Spirituality, uh, I think it's Spirituality of Work, let me check. Yeah, Spirituality at Work. At Work, okay. The author, the author is Devdas Menon, M-E-N-O-N. Okay. And it's the inspiring message of the Bhagavad Gita, which is again the, the founding text of, the, of Hinduism. And so, you know, the, what's in the heart and the soul of any human being is to do good things in the world, is to feel respected, to feel they exist, to pursue a noble purpose in their life, uh, and, you know, take care of people around them. The golden rule is a universal rule. That's you know, true. do to thy neighbor what you'd like your neighbor to, to, to do to you. Sometimes when people have bad behaviors and are devious and evil, sometimes they've been hurt. You know, they've been deeply wounded and it's a reaction. But in, like in the, in the movie Star Wars, you know, inside Darth Vader, there's, there's a, an element of good. Yes, of course. Uh, and um, even when you say, this guy is a criminal. No, he's, he's not a criminal. He's somebody who's committed a crime. That's very different. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not your worst behavior. Always, yeah. And so uh, I think that, so that philosophy of life is completely universal. And um, I think there is no difference. Now, depending on how hurt the organization has been, so in France, you know, France, we've become a country since Voltaire that's a bit pessimistic, a bit cynical. So sometimes you have obstacles to overcome. People can say, yeah, 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 but that's not, that's what you say, but that's not what you mean. So which is why it's more important to do than sometimes to say. Uh, and, uh, but I think it's universal. I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. And, and when you arrived uh, at Best Buy, I mean, you had uh, you decided to establish partnerships and and with some of your competitors as well. Uh, how did you convince them to partner with Best Buy at that time? Oh, um, it was actually not very difficult because uh, if you are a tech company like Samsung or HP or Sony, um, you know you invest billions of dollars in R and D. And you need to showcase your products. And uh, a world with just Walmart or Amazon, you know, is not going to be conducive to this because a, a, a TV, let's agree that for a TV, the quality of the picture is really important, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you cannot see the quality of the picture online and on the shelf at Walmart, you're not going to be able to see it. Uh, and so they need a place where to showcase the fruit of their billions of dollars of R&D investment. And Best Buy in, the, in North America is, is the best place for this. And their alternative is to build stores. And as you know, Apple has built stores and they're wonderful stores, uh, but they don't, that, that, they don't have that many stores. Uh, and Microsoft tried, and eh, that's a good success. Sony tried, not at all a good success. Uh, so it's much better. Best Buy, we have these stores, we have the traffic, and it's good for the customers to be able to see, you know, Apple, Samsung, Sony, everybody, uh, and have somebody they can talk to. It's good for the customers, it's good for the vendor, and of course it was good for us because, you know, we get paid for this. Yeah. And 
but it's but to your point about some of the competitors, because Amazon now has, you know, a corner in a Best Buy store. We've we've always sold their products. They can demonstrate all of their Echo Alexa products, Google as well. Uh, so there's a Google table and a, an Amazon table. And we've even done a partnership with Amazon where they've given us the exclusive rights to the Fire TV to be embedded in smart TVs and they're only sold at Best Buy or by Best Buy on Amazon.com. And it's the view that, you know, you shouldn't work, see the world as a zero sum game. The, the, so in, uh, you know, in life, the fact that you are smart and you have plenty of ideas and full of energy, uh, you know, if I'm also smart and full of energy, that doesn't make you less smart and with less energy, right? You, in fact, if you have an idea, uh, which is a good idea, and you give it to me, you still have it. Yeah. And so we don't need to be afraid, uh, but be focused more on, on seeing the possibilities. There's a great book by Rosamund and Ben Zander called The Art of Possibility. It's a very inspiring book uh, that focuses on, on seeing possibilities and so refusing zero sum games. I understand. Okay. You said earlier, uh, you of course try to connect the personal purpose of every every employee and the organization purpose. Uh, I think that's a key uh, a key yeah. aspect. Uh, how does it work, and how do you make it? How do you make it happen? So uh, it starts with a basic idea, which is a, a company is a human organization mm -hmm. made of individuals working together in pursuit of whatever goal, right? And so size doesn't matter. If the organization, if, if, if the company is 100 people or 1,000 people, 10,000 people, 100,000 people, or a million people, it's still an organization made of individuals working together. And it's one employee at a time. And as a leader, you know, I've, I've run companies with 3,000 people up to, you know, 125,000 at Best Buy, 150,000 at uh, Um you only interact directly with about 10 people who are your direct reports and somewhat indirectly with 100 people. So, you know, for CEO, these are the officers uh, of the company. And then you very indirectly touch the rest of the population, but not in a very profound uh, way. And so what matters is how you interact with everybody around you. And whether you're the CEO or a store general manager, a store general manager has 100 people with it's the same. And so what matters is that for every employee working at the company, that they feel that they're not, they shouldn't be overwhelmed by size. And so let me give you a story. So I was visiting a store in Boston. And what the store general manager did, uh, was doing, he was asking every employee, tell me about your dream. I love this. Put it down in the break room yeah. uh, for all of the 100 employees. And then he would say to every employee, my, I'm committed, and my commitment is to help you achieve your dream. Yeah, exactly. And I never told him to do this, right? Uh, he did it because he felt that, you know, this, the power of dream was, was very significant. Uh, and so you have to start with every employee feeling that they exist, that they're respected. So Descartes said, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. That's very intellectual. Uh, 
the uh, way I would say it, I, I am seen, somebody has seen me, therefore I am. People know I exist and they respect me, therefore I am. They, they are interested in me, therefore I am. And so that's the, that's the beginning, that's the, I say there's five ingredients to create human magic, that's the first one, uh, is the ability for people to, to feel that they exist and that you know people take an interest in them yeah and that you know, help them connect their purpose with the, the purpose of the of the company it's one employee at a time yes and, and there's a, a story about somebody somebody you know very well intended wanted to change the world you may have heard that story so he went to uh, india to calcutta and worked with mother teresa and Eh, he was not really that happy. He was a bit cranky. Uh, so maybe it's because, you know, it's not my culture. And, you know, plus, you know, it's a bit of a mess, right, in Calcutta. So we said, well, maybe I should be closer to my family. So let me move back to France. And there's plenty of poor people in France. So I can actually, you know, take care of them. Uh, and so you work in the suburbs of Paris. There's plenty of work to be done there. But he was still cranky and said, well, maybe that's, maybe that's not my culture. There's a lot of people from Africa, you know, plus it, you know, it's a mess. And I, and so, uh, so he would complain. And, and so he said, well, maybe I should take care of my family. So then he uh, goes home and they all go on vacation and he takes care. He's still cranky. And somebody tells him, why don't you take care of yourself? And so he changed himself instead of changing the world. And then all of a sudden, the world around them had changed. And so there's a, uh, uh, one of Hortense's friends sent us a picture that she posted on LinkedIn, you may have seen it. It says, if you cannot go outside, go inside. Um, and so, uh, so that's the magic is, and it's, it's one, one person at a time. And so as a leader, you know, your role is not to be the smartest person in the room, but it's to create this environment in which leaders know that this is their role, yeah. is to connect uh, with the, every employee at a very personal level. And of course, in this crisis, you know, people talk, have been talking for years about bring, bring your whole self to work. Well, now work is at home. So we are, <laughs> you know, all of us are at home. And I think the implication is that uh, as leaders, we need to deal with the, the employees at the company as a whole person, not just their safety needs or philosophical philosoph um, physiological needs, but the rest of their human needs, you know, their, their need for connection, their need for love, their need for respect, their need for uh, mental health, their need for meaning. And so we need to get to know, and that's happening, uh, you know, people around us at a much deeper level, uh, for sure. That's great. Thank you, uh, Hubert, for, for, for this great advice. Um, do, you see the, do you think the world is ready to embrace purpose? Uh, I will say from the next generation who is arriving, and we know that there are kind of big, I mean, no one is too small to, to have a voice today. Uh, but globally, from the private sector, the business, and, and the citizen, do you think there are, I mean, people are ready for that? Yes, because it's, it's the key human need. You know, you've, you may have read 
another book, which is Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. You've read that book? Yes. Yes. Uh, it's a universally, so, um, and you may have read last year the BRT statement on corporate purpose, right? And so, and I, you know, of course, uh, I'm close to a lot of the CEOs in, in the US. And when I see how these CEOs are leading their companies, uh, and uh, including in this crisis, it's extremely inspiring. Yes. And I think Jeff Bezos said last week when he reported his uh, Q1 earnings, he, he told, uh, you know, in the, in the press release, he said, uh, uh, you know, if you're an investor, if you're a shareholder, you should take a seat for the next quarter because I'm going to invest four billion. We should have made $4 billion of profit. I'm going to take these $4 billion and I'm going to invest it in the safety of our employees and, uh, and customers. So just take a seat. I'll be back to you. So, uh, and I think uh, in France, Sebastien Bazin, I think has been a, a role model around this. I think he's, uh, he's told me he's reinvested a good chunk of the dividends in taking care of the employees. You know, um, the CEO of Marriott is a, uh, Annie Sorensen is a great role model in sports. Uh, John Donahoe, the, the new CEO of Nike is, yeah. is a very, you know, good guy, he's a personal friend. Uh, and he's, uh, or if you take Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, you know, he's a very spiritual leader. Yeah. So I think it's very pervasive. Um, and, and again, there's no, it's not difficult. Larry Fink, you know, when he writes to all of the CEOs and say, tell me about your purpose. Mm -hmm. Or when I was interviewed for the job, uh, the CEO job at Calcium, uh, the, the daughter of the founder asked me, Hubert, tell me about your soul. Of course, but it starts with your soul. So I think that the idea that, uh, you know, shareholders don't want you to do the right thing is baloney. And any CEO who takes the shareholders as an excuse doesn't deserve to be CEO. No. And so therefore is not a CEO. Uh, so I think we should, uh, we can assume, we can safely assume that most people are driven by a sense of meaning because they're human beings. Uh, and, you know, they don't want to be jerks. And if they're jerks, you know, sometimes they'll need help. They'll need a coach, you know, or a trainer to help them. Uh, and so then the question is, how do you actually do it? What does it take? How, yeah. how do you yeah. do it? I, I mean, I share, uh, I share with you your, your optimism on this. And, uh, and I think you made a great description on the, on the profile of, the, of an inspiring leader today and tomorrow. Um, coming to the sports uh, industry, uh, I know that when you took over at Best Buy, I think Best Buy was involved in some sports sponsorship. Yes. Um, and of course, I, I, I mean, I think you, you stopped this kind of sponsorship. Yeah. Can you explain us why uh, yeah. and the story behind this? Yeah, I think we were sponsors in particular of NASCAR and we were also... Uh, Chicago Fire. Again, Chicago Fire, I think. Uh, the, uh, maybe we're probably supporting a number of teams, yeah. and we cancelled pretty much all of these sponsorship. We continue; we've continued to be involved in Minneapolis with the Twins, and we were involved in the in the Super Bowl. Uh, and the the reason why we cancelled and the reason why we continued some. Uh, so the cancellation was that uh, it was uh, also we were we used to do ads on the Super Bowl. And 
the conclusion from from the marketing team was that you know from a from a marketing standpoint this these these were not effective vehicles so putting your name if you're best buy in the us putting your name on a nascar car you know it's not going to increase your awareness because you already have, you know, 80% unaided awareness. So it doesn't do anything uh, and it doesn't convey any message. So it was not effective marketing dollars. The reason we continue to support some of the teams in Minneapolis is because this is our community. This is our home base and you, you need a vibrant community. So it's not a marketing push. It's a, in order to be able to attract great talent, it's helpful for the city to be home of, you know, the national sports team. So we have one of each, right? We have uh, NFL, NBA, and, and you know, uh, Major League Baseball, uh, women basketball, uh, uh, hockey. You know, we have all of them <laughs> because it's helpful to, you know, keep <laughs> vibrant. Uh, and so that's the that's the the. the, the okay. And uh, I mean, from your experience, and what will what will be the insight you could give to sports executives today uh, by integrating purpose within the organization? So uh, I'm going to answer at two levels. First, a very micro level pertaining to the athletes, and then for uh, sports brands. So starting with the athletes. Uh, and I don't, I'm not 100% sure about Serena. Uh, but so one of the things we've done at Best Buy is we have the, the Best Buy Teen Tech Centers, uh, which, uh, you know, in the US, North America, uh, so we're targeting disadvantaged communities, disadvantaged teenagers to, to help them acquire technology skills and build the path to a job or to higher education. So we have about 30 of them active now. There's a pipeline of another 30. And, and with my foundation, I'm going to fund uh, a handful of them in New York City. Okay. Uh, a number of athletes have actually partnered with us. So typically, we partner with the major tech companies. And so we've done one close to Sony's headquarter in California. And you know, uh, Microsoft, uh, Google, Canon, all of these companies are are working with us because it's a noble cause. But in addition, we have a number of athletes who have funded, uh, partnered with us, uh, funded these centers in their hometown as a way to give back. And there's a, I don't have all of the names, we could research it if you, uh, that was helpful to you. Yeah. Uh, but they, you know, they, they're so excited about giving back to you know, the community in which they grew up because they see the kids as themselves. A lot of these athletes, particularly in the US in football, but also basketball or, or anything that, you know, they didn't necessarily grow up, you know, uh, on the Upper East Side of, uh, of New York City. And so they can see how, uh, you know, they see themselves in the kids. And that's, a, for them, that's a very meaningful. And, and for, uh, for athletes, you know, after their professional career, Life can be very tough. Uh, you know, they can burn a lot of their money very quickly. You know, what's their purpose? What's their meaning? Well, here's one way to do something meaningful. And so I think there's a growing trend towards that. Yes. Um, and it can be athletes, it can be, you know, movie stars as well. Um, 
And so that's, so at the individual level, people can contribute. And then at the brand level, I think in this world, the world is looking for authentic brands that uh, are more than just features and functionalities. Mm -hmm. So of course you're very familiar with the Nike ad with uh, Kaepernick that was so impactful. Now they took some slack, for, you know, they, they took some heat for it because there's part of the country that uh, you know, was not a big fan, but overwhelmingly, yeah. you know, it was very positive. I think so. And so uh, again, you know, companies like Best Buy, we're not in the business of selling TVs or computers. No. Although we'll happily sell you one if you want one, but we're in the business of enriching lives through technology. So we're bringing, we're, we're building these human connections. We're taking care of people. And Nike, of course, has got the, the Nike brand has got a wonderful history of standing more than just for features and, you know, uh, inviting, you know, their, their users to be more than they, to be the best version of themselves. Yes. Just do it, right? So it's appealing to who you can be, be the best version of yourself. Uh, and uh, in the case of the Kaepernick ad, it was an invitation to really stand for something. Uh, and, and again, be who you can be. Uh, and so, um, again, if you're cynical, you can say, oh, they're just manipulating, but they're just uh, evil people. No, this is genuine, authentic uh, leadership. And what's true for sports brand, I think is gonna be very true as we navigate this crisis. People are looking for genuine, authentic brand that take care of their employees, take care of their customers, behave appropriately and do good things in the world, serve the common good. No, I agree. And, uh, and I think, as you said, we, we can see a growing number of, of athletes yeah. into that space. I think, yeah. They understand that they have a mission and a responsibility. And yes, exactly. Yeah, they, they want to do something meaningful and impactful and, and joyful in the world. And it drives, it drives fulfillment for them. Yeah, beyond, beyond, of yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah. And the world needs that because, you know, the, the, the world, in particular in the U.S., you know, if you're African-American, you know, it's a challenging world. You know, you fear for your life, every day. essentially, or every day. So it's not pretty. That's true. Thank you. Um, you, you shared earlier uh, a, a great description. Uh, how would you, let's say, describe the five uh, criteria over of a progressive or purposeful leader today? If you have to describe the five top, I will say qualities and... Yeah, so, the, so the, I think the, the, it's good to start with the contrast. I think in, in last century, you know, the, the model of leadership was somebody, you know, really smart, mm. who knows how to make decisions and then holds people accountable and drives uh, performance. Uh, you also have the model of leaders who are driven by uh, power, fame, glory, or money. Uh, these are very dangerous uh, drivers. I think the, in contrast to this, um, I, I've uh, used internally at Best Buy, you know, the, the five Bs of purposeful leadership. And the first B is you have to be a purposeful leader. So be clear about your purpose your individual purpose in life, uh, understand the purpose of people around you and connect all of this with the purpose of the, of the company. 
be clear about your role as a leader. And your role as a leader is not to be the smartest person in the room, it's to create an environment in which others can blossom and, and, and flourish. Be clear about who you serve. If you believe you're serving yourself or your boss or me as the CEO, it's okay. I don't have a problem with that. The only thing is you shouldn't work here. You can be a customer of Best Buy and being a customer of Best Buy is really cool, but you know, it shouldn't work here. Yeah. On the other hand, if you are serving, if you believe your role is to serve the servants, meaning people on the front line, people around you, then we're good. You have to be a values-driven leader. You know, integrity is essential. And then you have to be an authentic leader. So be yourself. Yeah. You know, don't be afraid to be vulnerable, to show empathy, uh, to use all of your body parts. So your left brain, your right brain, as Hortense would talk about, yeah. your heart, your soul, your guts. All of this is, you know, bring all of this and uh, make sure that everybody around you feel they can bring all of this and they can be themselves and that you know they you see them uh, and that you respect them and they feel they they can grow so these are the five b's of leadership that's inspiring yeah i have a last question hubert uh i mean which is more about you because i know you you you're going to step down from your role at best buy uh no i'm not going to step down i'm passing the baton Okay, so I, I knew that you passed, uh, I mean, to the new CEO, but I think you were still within the company. Yeah, so I'm executive chairman and I'm also passing the baton okay. of chairman. Okay. But that doesn't mean stepping down. That's true. You know, You're I'm, right. I'm moving forward. Yeah, no, I agree. And actually, my question was about this. Yeah. I mean, what, I, I know you love challenges. So what is, uh, I mean, what is next for you? So um, what's very clear is that I'm not going to be a CEO again. Yeah. I've been there, done that. I'm not moving to Florida to uh, play golf with aging old, you know, white men. Uh, I want the next 10, 20, you know, years yeah. to be meaningful, impactful, yeah. and joyful. And so my focus, I want to add my voice and my energy to uh, what I think is a necessary refoundation of business and capitalism around purpose and humanity. And so the way I'm going to do this is I'm writing a book, okay. uh, which uh, the provisional title is, is The Heart of Business, uh, which should come out. Uh, we've written 12 or 13 of 15 chapters, so it's well That's advanced. We have a, a book deal with HBR Press. It's going to come out uh, sometimes in the first half of next year. Okay. Uh, and uh, second, I'm joining uh, the faculty at Harvard Business School to work with others to, I think, help evolve the uh, uh, business education, right. uh, which I think has been too much focused on techniques as opposed to these other dimensions we've been talking about. I'm also involved at HEC Paris around, you know, we, we, found, we funded a chair and founded a chair on purposeful leadership. Uh, yeah. And we're working, uh, I think it's really working well. Uh, and then I want to mentor uh, management teams, which I can do through boards. So I'm on the Ralph Lauren board and I've joined the Johnson & Johnson board, but I also mentor a number of CEOs and senior executives. And then there's a bit of philanthropy. So, uh, you know, with the Best Buy Team Tech Center. So nothing much going on. <laughs> that's very, I mean, that's a lot to, a lot to achieve and a great, uh, yeah. great project. Yeah. But it's fun.
Yeah, and all aligned, which is important. Yeah. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this edition of Legacy Sport Live, the companion podcast series to our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Please visit our website at www.legacysport.org to order your copy of the book and join our growing community of sports business professionals committed to doing good while doing well through sport.